Good morning, good morning. Awesome. Great to be with you this morning. It's great to be able to uh, sit and worship. You know, I always love being on the front row. If you're on the back row, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Uh, because when you're on the front row, the Holy Spirit does a little something different. Um, you get to hear all of the voices singing over you. And I tell you, if you need a worshipful moment, you're having a hard day, come sit down on the front row. I can promise you, you'll be encouraged by the time that you leave. It's so encouraging to get to hear everybody sing. So I've got a fun, exci- a fun and exciting announcement. You ready for it? You like good news? So you'd rather have bad news? You want some good news? Okay, here's some good news. So after a long period of time, uh, our building steering team has been praying, has been in countless meetings with architects and all kinds of different things. Um, they want you to know that we have made the official decision that we are moving forward uh, with building a new facility on the hilltop. That's what we believe that God's calling us to do. Yeah. So we're super excited about that. We believe that God's given us a great plan. He's given us a great opportunity for us to move forward. And so what you need to know, what that means for you, is that on October 15th, we will have, uh, we, we will make, that, that'll be kind of the launch of what we are going consider, consider our public initiative, okay? So October 15th is going to be a very special day in the life of our church. I'm very excited about that day. I hope you are too. It's going to be fun as we launch the new public initiative to fund not only the next two years of our ministry plan or our general budget, to, that's, that's the money that, that the church gives in order for us to continue doing ministry, things like this, things like Awanas, things like all, all of the stuff that Stanton mentioned, missions, all of those things. And then also too, that's gonna include funding a new facility on the property of 121 and MLK, which we've had now for uh, a little over, somewhere around five years. So excited about that. Now here's the... Here's the deal. While this is super exciting, uh, well, let me, one more thing. So October 15th, public, we're launching the public initiative. Uh, up until those, up until that date, there's gonna be three more dates that you're gonna wanna keep your eyes and your ears peeled for because those are gonna be opportunities for you guys to come and to hear the vision, to see the building and all of those things. Now, here's the deal. If you don't have a Sunday school class or if you don't have a small group or if you're not super connected yet, um, these are gonna be opportunities for you. So hear me when I say you're gonna be invited to one of those three opportunities. But if you are in a Sunday school class, if you are in a small group, um, you're gonna hear these from those, you're gonna hear these dates from those groups and they're gonna bring you to those events, okay? I want you to come as a, as a fellowship, as a, as a body of people. So again, those dates are gonna be coming your way. Just keep your eyes and ears peeled for those dates, okay? Super exciting. Now, here's something that's more important than a new building, it's more important than everything else. The reason why we are doing the series that we're doing right now is because the priority for this church will never be a building. You hear me say that very clearly. The priority of First Baptist Belton will never be a building. It will never be ministry. It will always be God. It needs to be God. God has to be the priority. He can't be a priority. He has to be the priority. And then when God is the priority, everything else is an overflow of that first step, right? So our first step as a church, both individually and collectively, is that we are going to make God the priority. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, right? There's a difference between God being a priority in your life and being the priority in your life. And hear me, I would rather take 300 people 
who are making God the priority in their life than 3,000 people who are making God a priority in their life because I just believe that God can do a whole lot more with 300 who are all in than 3,000 who are just along for the ride. Right, so our church, this body, this church family, this multi-generational church family, this is a call to make God the priority of your life. Not a priority, the priority, because when God is the priority, amazing things happen. And I wanna be a part of seeing God move in us, change us, and I wanna see God make kingdom impact in and through his people right here, First Baptist Belton. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be in Luke 21. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Luke chapter 21, we're gonna cover verses one through four this morning. One through four, Luke chapter 21, verses one through four. All right, this is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse one, read with me. It says, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And here's what he said. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Powerful four verses. You may be sitting there thinking, oh gosh, he just announced a public campaign, so he's given another giving message. <laughs> Listen, if that's you this morning, and maybe you're a guest with us, this is going to be a little bit of a family meeting, okay? So if you're a guest, um, understand that, that I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you and speak to your heart, but really what we're talking about this morning is, is I'm, I'm speaking directly to the family here, okay? Um, and if you're here this morning and you're thinking, golly, if that, man, it, public campaign, here we go, speaking on giving, if that's you, then I especially want you to lean in a little bit. I want you to lean in a little bit, and I want you to do me a favor. I want, to put, I want you to put behind you things that you've heard. Uh, maybe you've been to a church and you've been burned because of finances or, or whatever that may be. I want you to put all those things aside because this message is not going to be about giving. This message is about worship. If you read these verses and if you read them very carefully, you will see that it actually has very little to do with our money. And it has everything to do with our heart. This morning, what I want to challenge you with is I want to challenge you to ask two questions. I want you to ask yourself, have you given your heart fully to the Lord? To really think about that. This is going to be really important because if we don't establish that first, everything we're going to talk about is not going to matter. So I want you to think about it. Have you given your heart fully over to the Lord or has he just been given a portion of your heart? And then following that, following that question, do your actions reveal the answer to that first question? So does your life, the things that you prioritize in your life, does that reveal that you've given your heart fully over to the Lord? Those are the questions that I want us to talk about this morning. 
Have you given your heart fully over to the Lord? Now, here's the deal. What we're going to talk about, because I want this to be so clear in your mind. I want you to walk away and I want you to hear. This is, this is what I want you to hear. A heart that has been fully given over to the Lord is a heart that I don't need to have a hard giving conversation. If your heart is being, is, is, has been given fully over to the Lord and you're keeping nothing back in your heart, I'm not talking about your wallet yet, then I don't have to talk about your wallet. You see what I'm saying? If you with me? That's what we're talking about. Now, here's the deal. Context of this particular setting. The particular setting is set in Passover. So thousands of people have gathered together to celebrate Passover, and Jesus has got his disciples. They're sitting there, and they're observing some things that are going on, okay? Now, in chapter 20, verse 45, Jesus notices this, and this is him speaking to the disciples. Here's what he says. He says in verse 45 of chapter 20, he says, beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes, who love greeting, who love who love greetings in the marketplaces, in the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Jesus tells the disciples, he says, hey, beware of these folks. In other words, beware of those who walk around with fancy name brand clothing all to create an image for themselves. Beware of those who walk into the grocery store and care more about who sees them in public and whether or not they're greeted or whether they're, uh, or, or, or what somebody says about what they're wearing or whether they've got their makeup on or the cost of their clothing or the cost of their car. Beware of those who love to have the best seats in the house or the stadium or the concert. Beware of those folks who are willing to cut extra corners to make a buck. Beware of those people who when they pray, they care more about what they are saying to God than the God in whom they are speaking to. Beware of those folks who are afraid to pray because they care more about what people think about their prayer than the God in whom they're speaking to. He says, beware of them. Why? Because they care more about their image and their kingdom than they care about God and his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, beware of these people. They care more about themselves and what they can gain out of life, their image, their cars, their houses, their status, all of the stuff. They care more about building a kingdom on this earth than they do about me and investing in my kingdom. To put it simply, they have a worship problem. They have a worship problem. It's within this context that Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he observes two things. He observes first and foremost that the wealthy are coming and they're dropping their offering in the offering box. You might see our offering box right there. It'd be very similar for the wealthy in our church to get up to make a scene as they go and they put in their big checks in the offering box. And then Jesus notices something else. He notices that this poor widow who has very little to live on goes and she also puts in her offering in the offering box and Jesus says, this poor widow who has very little, the money that she put in that box would be equivalent of a couple of pennies 
puts that in the offering box and Jesus says that that is equal, is greater than the sum of all of the, the wealthy put into the box. Now, to the normal eye, this may not have seemed like a major issue. You know, people are just giving their offering. And Jesus has no problem with wealthy people. There's plenty of wealthy people in the Bible who have blessed. As a matter of fact, without wealthy people, we can't do a lot of the things that we're able to do. God has blessed you. You bless us. And that money then goes back to the kingdom, right? It's important. Jesus doesn't have anything against wealth, nor is he condemning them for their wealth. He's simply drawing our attention to something bigger than money. He's drawing our attention to the nature of our heart in worship. In fact, Jesus makes a pretty strange statement. In verse 3, he says, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow, again, has put in more than any of them. The two small coins that she's put in is greater than the value, greater in value than the sum that all of the wealthy put in. And you may be thinking, well, how in the world can that be? I mean, my math, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't add up. Well, Jesus answers that question in verse 4. He says, For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Listen very carefully. There is a difference between giving a portion and giving the whole pie. There's a difference. There's a difference between giving a sliver and giving the whole pie. And Jesus is drawing our attention to this difference. Here's the point. Before the widow ever gave sacrificially of what she had in her wallet, she had given her heart fully to the Lord. So you don't just wake up one day and go, you know what, today's the day, today's the day that I'm going to give up my life savings and I'm going to put it in that offering box. Like, I don't know anybody who's ever woken up and just said, this is, today's that day. Right? Right? What happened in this widow's life is that God did something special in her heart, transformed her heart as she gave herself fully over to the Lord to the degree where she's willing to do something so irrational as to give all that she has to live on back to the Lord. It's as though she's silently saying to God, I love you more than anything else. Here's my heart, here's my life, here's my future. It may, be, it may not be much, but, but Lord, here's all I got, and I'm giving it to you. Listen, y'all, this is the true nature of our worship. This is the true nature of our worship, and I think it's fair to have an honest conversation this morning. You ready? We need to have an honest conversation. It's important, right? I love you. I hope you love me, so maybe we can meet in the middle here. Right now, we have a problem. You and I, this church, we have a problem. We are significantly under budget for the year. And I have racked my brain over how in the world can we be under budget? I mean, look at this place. I hear you singing. And it is loud. We're worried about the instruments. I can tell you, your voices are much louder than the instruments. It is loud in here. It's electric in here. There is energy. It is multi-generational. This place is full, and we have a problem. I've talked to other pastors that I know. I've talked to experts. I've looked at every strategy. I've looked at it all. But you know what? You know the truth of it is? 
It's not that we have a giving problem. Credit me. We don't have a giving problem. We got a worship problem. You can sing on Sunday and your heart can be far from the Lord. I don't know how to be any more truthful, any more honest with you than that. We have a worship problem. There's no gimmick. There's no amount of things that we can do. There's not a amount, passing the plate's not going to solve a worship problem. What's going to solve a worship problem is you and me getting serious about making God the priority of our lives. Not being a priority, but the priority of our lives. Giving him our full heart and saying, Lord, here's all I got. Here's my time. Here's my talent. Here's my treasure. Here's my life. You've given me your son. How in the world can I withhold from you? That's what's going to change everything. What's going to change is when we are more concerned about God and his kingdom and building that kingdom than ourselves and our kingdom. What's going to change that is when we don't care so much about what's on our back, but who has called us their son and their daughter in whom he's well pleased. Where we recognize that the cross was not just this thing that we talk about or we wear around our necks or we see plastered around town, but it's something that means something to us because on that particular day, a man gave his life for you and for me, shed his blood so that you, a stranger, a foreigner, an alien, somebody who is a child of wrath, could be given a seat at the table, lavished with riches, and go, oh my gosh, why in the world am I giving my life for this? Who cares? God has to be the priority in our life. When he's the priority, we don't have to have that budget conversation. When he's the priority, I don't have to talk about your wallet. But I'm going to be honest with you. He is not our priority. He's some of our priority. For some of you in the room, he is your priority. But there is a whole host of people in this room who I love. I don't even know who you are. I don't want to know. But I'm pleading with you. It's not what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And I'm telling you, you're missing out on the blessing that you're, you're missing out. And we're missing out. The church is missing out. And I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you to give your whole heart to the Lord and watch how he transforms your life. You will never know the faithfulness of God until you give him a shot. You will never know his faithfulness. You will never see him show up in your life in miraculous ways until you push yourself to the degree where you have to trust him. But right now, we aren't trusting him. And so you're not going to see the God of the universe break into your life in a powerful, miraculous way until you say, Lord, you know what? It may not be much, but here's what I got. He's got to be the priority. He's got to be the priority. It's got me thinking, you know, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, man, the early church. Gosh, it's not a perfect church. Just read the Corinthians. You'll 
figure out real quickly that it was a mess. But Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, you've got a people who are worshiping. Revival's breaking out. And they're coming to the gathering and they're literally selling off land. They're selling off their possessions and they're pushing it all across the table and they're saying, Lord, here's my offering to you. And what happens there? Revival continues to break out. The Lord continues to add to their number day by day by day. Revival is happening. Listen, I tell you, you know, in the book of Malachi, here's another great example. You know, God could have condemned the people of Israel for so many things. He could have condemned them for uh, their idolatry, for the way they were treating their own people, for the way they were treating outsiders. Um, They were cutting corners to make a buck. There's a ton of nasty things that they were doing. God could have condemned them for all of those, but you know what he said? He didn't. He didn't condemn them for their for their behavior. He condemned them for their worship because what they were doing, or rather what they weren't doing, is they weren't bringing their offering to the Lord. In fact, he would even go so far as to say that they were robbing me. And so he says, rather than experiencing the blessing of the Lord, they were experiencing a curse. Because while their behavior may seem like it had it all together, their hearts were far from him. Listen, man, I don't, I don't want us to be a church where we're missing out on the blessings of God because we are not making him the priority of our heart. So Acts chapter 2, Acts 4, great things are happening. Selling possessions, giving away land, all these things is an opportunity for worship. And it got me thinking, why in the world would people do something so irrational, so crazy? Why would they do that? I think it's because like the widow, they had given their heart completely over to God. They made him the priority of their lives. That's the only rational explanation for why you would generously give of everything you have. Wow. That is so powerful. Now, here's a rational thought. I want you to think about this. How many of you would marry somebody who on that beautiful wedding day, your bride walks down the aisle, oh my gosh, so beautiful. All the ladies are oohing and on. it's great. Then they turn and they look at the groom to make sure he's crying. You know, you know that day. You get up there, how many of you would marry the person who says, you know, babe, I am, I'm all in. I'm with you in richer or poorer, sick, sickness or in health. No matter what comes our way, I am all in, unless it gets uncomfortable or unless I find something better or bigger, or something that I would rather prioritize more than you? That's a logical question. How many of you are like, yep, this is the one? If I'm your dad, I'm going to go get my daughter from that stage, and we're going to walk out. And yet, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, that marriage is a demonstration of our love relationship with the Lord. That marriage is a picture of you and me before God, covenanted to live our lives with Him, before Him, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. No matter what comes our way, we're all in. And yet for so many people, we stand on that day and we say yes when we walk down that aisle, we said that prayer, but then guess what? We live our lives in the same context I just said. We say, I do, when it's comfortable, when it's convenient, 
when I don't have something else going on, when there's not something else that I would rather be prioritizing. You know, there's this country song that's out right now. The lyrics go something like this. I only talk to God when I need a favor. Song continues. But if I only talk to God when I need a favor, then who am I to expect a savior? Now tell me, who is more rational, irrational? The person who has given their whole heart to God in complete devotion to him and therefore gives all that they have to him or the person who only talks to him when they need a favor and yet expect him to show up when there's trouble. Who's more irrational? I read a quote the other day and I thought it was really great. It goes like this, Christians ought to live their lives as though it were only possible if God shows up. That same person um, said that the problem that we have in the church today is that there are people who gather in churches time and time again every Sunday, but their lives do not reveal the truth in which they believe. And that's the reason why people are leaving the church. I don't know if that's true or not, but I certainly don't disagree. I mean, generations have grown up in households where people have gone to church and said, hey, we gotta wear our Sunday best, but yet Monday through Saturday haven't made God the priority. So why in the world would they grow up and think that God should be the priority in their life? I mean, that's where we're at. That's a countrywide problem. That's a nationwide problem. That's a global-wide problem. Is that until you and I decide we're going to make God the priority of our lives, the church will continue to decay. And I'm just going to tell you, that ain't going to happen in Belton. That ain't going to happen here. Because I'm not going to lead a dying church. We're going to be a thriving church because God's going to be the priority, and I'm pleading with you to join me. I, I don't want to walk that, I don't want to rock that road alone. Like, we're a family, right? So a family can sit down and have a hard conversation at the table and say, hey, I love you. You may disagree, and you may never come back, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to shoot you straight. I need you. I need you. It doesn't matter how many times I pray. It doesn't matter how much I give. It doesn't matter how much I show up and open the doors. Apart from you guys, y'all are the church. This is the church. You're looking at the church. I just get to lead it. But y'all are the church. These are the beautiful faces that make up First Baptist Belton and why we're a great church. But you know what? We could be a phenomenal church who makes a phenomenal kingdom impact so long as we just give our heart fully to the Lord and say, Lord, you use me however you see fit. You use my home, you use my bank account, you use my cars, you use my time, you use everything that I've got. It's all for you, Lord, it's yours anyway, so use it, use me. And I promise you, I promise you, you will become addicted to it, try me. You will become addicted to that kind of generosity. And I can't think of a better thing to become more addicted than making God the priority of your life. Now, let me bring all this back together. 
I've got three things to wrap this thing up. Understand, you've got to understand, this is not a giving message. It's not. It's not a giving message. It is a worship message. One author rightly said, God does not want our money. If you think God needs your money, then my goodness, you've got something. We need to talk. God doesn't need your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants all of it. And yet, we cannot give ourselves to God apart from our money, apart from our possessions, apart from our time, apart from all of it. That's why Jesus says the money reveals where our heart is. Even Jesus says that. By the way, did you know that Jesus talks about money more in the Bible than he does about heaven and hell? About your eternal state. You realize that he talks more about your eternal state than he does, or about money than he does your eternal state. It's because our money tests our worship. Number two, giving that pleases God is a kind of giving that is costly. Worship is costly. That's why one of our core values is sacrificial worship. It ought to cost us something. There ought to be a sacrifice. It ought to cost us a level of comfort, some level of inconvenience for it to be sacrificial. It ought to put us in a place where we have to trust God to replenish that which we gave. And I'm not just talking about your wallet. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about all of it. I'm talking about everything in your life. If you want to worship the Lord, it's going to cost you something to the degree that he has to replenish that which you gave. I love what happens with David. David, the course of his life, he's out in the wilderness. He builds this, all. he wants to build an altar to the Lord, and this guy comes up and he says, hey, you know what, I'll just give you the land for free. You know, as a matter of fact, hey, I got a bunch of animals. I, I don't really need them anyway. So how about I just give you the animals? I'll give you the land for free. You can build your altar. You can make your sacrifice. It won't cost you a thing. And you know what David says in 2 Samuel 24, 24? I'm going to read it. He says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. Y'all, that's powerful. He refuses to offer something to the Lord that doesn't cost him anything. You know, David's known to be a man after God's own heart. Certainly not a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. And I started thinking, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, is a man or a woman who has given God their heart. Right? Like a man or a woman after God's own heart is a man or a woman who has fully given their heart to the Lord and said, here, use me. Number three, God can do great things with small sacrifices. You know, you may be in here this morning, and golly, man, you may be strapped. You may be, you've got debt through the roof, and you don't know what to do. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, don't ever look down on a sacrifice to the Lord. Notice that Jesus, and notice the disciples even, in this moment where the wealthy are giving in their, they're putting their, their offering in the box, notice that Jesus doesn't make fun of that woman. He doesn't say, ugh, is that all she's going to give? Really? Do you know who I am? He doesn't do that. In fact, he celebrates her. 
If you have never given to the Lord, start somewhere. Just start somewhere. Just say, God, my goodness, I, I don't have a lot. I got, I've made some, maybe I've made some poor decisions, but you know what? I'm going to start somewhere. You know, the hardest place is just taking that step of faith. Once you take that step of faith, then you can take another step of faith. And then you can take another step of faith. And you can take another step of faith. And then all of a sudden, year after year, guess what happens? You have now made a habit of sacrificial worship in your life. And you will see God show up time and time and time and time again. And I promise you, you will never look back. I've, Jordan and I have never looked back. That was the first decision we made when we got married. Prior to that, I had never given to the Lord. We've never missed a month, and I have never gone without. So much so that God has given me almost everything that I've even wanted. That's no prosperity gospel nonsense. This is a heart given over to the Lord that's not perfect. But it says, Lord, this is what I got. This is what I'm giving to you. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide for me on the other side. And he has. And he will for you. But you've got to take that step of faith. Listen, as we move into an initiative to raise funds over the next two years, we're going to be raising funds for our ministry plan, but we're also going to be raising funds for a new facility, okay? I'm super excited about this. I think God is going to do great things in our church, in and through us, but you know what I'm most excited about? (laughs) What I'm most excited about is not a building. It's none of that. It's none of that. What I'm most excited about is seeing you get fired up for the Lord. You get fired up for the Lord, where you grow in your faith and your trust of the Lord. Like, that's what I'm hungry for. I'm so hungry. I'm so ready to see a church go, boom, we're all in for this. We're excited for this. I'm going to take it on faith. Lord, here you go. I'm going to make a sacrificial offering to you. That's what I'm excited about. You know what else I'm excited about? I'm excited about seeing our church come together. It's strengthening our unity. Because if we're not healthy here, we won't be healthy there. I want us to be strong here. I want us to be walking in step with one another. I want us to be of one heart, one soul, one mind. I want us to be moving together. I want us to be moving with one heart. And then thirdly, I'm excited because I believe this is going to extend our reach in a way that you could not even fathom. I'm praying that God does amazing things. I'm praying that he radically transforms our heart and uses us to see people come to know Jesus, their lives to be transformed from our front porch to the ends of the earth. That's what I'm excited about. And I hope that you're excited about that as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you that he shows a great model of what it looks like to model both truth and grace, to be able to speak truth to people he loves and yet at the same time extend grace. And Father, there's so much grace to be found. Lord, I don't want us to get caught up on legalistic nonsense. I want us to get caught up on you. Lord, for when you are the priority of our lives, we don't have to worry about the things on this earth. God, so transform our hearts. Lord, let us move us this morning. It's been my prayer all week. Would you just move us this morning to give our hearts to you, to trust you rather than trying to trust ourselves, which are terrible gods. God, only you are worthy of our worship. Father, our kingdoms will fail. 
our clothing will go out of style, our cars will break, our homes will fall apart, but Lord, your kingdom never fails. It never stops. There's only one institution on this earth that you have said will never fail, and that's your church. So God, I pray that you move in us, that you make us a battleship of a church that, are, that is waging war against our enemy, that's pushing against the darkness, ushering in light as we proclaim the truth of Jesus. Father, may you bless our efforts as we give our hearts to you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.